Welcome to Getting Work to Work, a weekly podcast exploring the creative and curious world of work through monologues and conversations with creative entrepreneurs, storytellers, and changemakers. What do you do when you're endlessly curious about how people get the most out of their lives and maximize their professional efficacy? You find a way to deliver context-dependent content, what you need when you need it. Mark Hirschberg is an author and creator of the Brain Bump app and is back on Getting Work to Work to share about the changing world of content. Yes, an endless supply of information is available to us 24-7, but what is shifting is how we consume and retain information. In this conversation, Mark shares the stories behind Brain Bump, how it works, and the iterative process he went through making the app. He also mixes in various shareable moments on topics such as our careers and niches, laziness as a design principle, one of my favorites, brand awareness, and the creative process. Show notes and links to all the good stuff mentioned in this episode can be found at gwtw.co slash 639. Mark, welcome back to Getting Work to Work. It's been almost two years since we've last talked. Uh, What's new? Well, thank you for having me back. A lot has happened in those past two years. You were one of my earlier podcasts. I went on to go to speak on over 300 podcasts as I was promoting my book. Yeah, that was quite a tour. (laughs) How do you wrap your mind around 300 podcasts? You need to be passionate about what you do. (laughs) A friend of mine who is a book whisperer, she says, expect to speak about your book for five years, two years while you're in the process of writing and publishing it, and then for three years promoting it. And if you're not ready to talk about it for at least five years, probably you shouldn't do the book. Okay. That just blew my mind. Cause like, I think about if it's a book that you're willing to talk about for five years, I think about the context of your business. Like, are we willing to talk about our business for five years or do we have to keep pivoting so fast that we just have to start over and over and over? That's, that's an interesting thought. And I suppose it depends on your book. If you're writing about, let's say U uh, S elections, what was true whenever you happen to hear this, whatever was true two years ago, isn't true today and won't be true two years from now. Whereas more evergreen content, if you think about a topic like leadership, yes, leadership is different today than 70 years ago, but it's not that different today from 10 years ago. And so you can create content that's going to last longer. It has a longer shelf life. And one thing to think about is the shelf life of your content. Is it evergreen or does it tie into certain trends or does it fade? And both are okay, but it's certainly going to change how you think about marketing it. And I bet going on 300 podcasts, you know, no shade to any podcasts out there, but like you probably saw the gamut between topical that was evergreen versus content that was going to be over next week. I did. Now, most of the podcasts I targeted partially by selection, partially the nature of what my book was about, they did tend to be a little more evergreen, but certainly some people, they like to tie it in. Uh, Just to give folks context, my book was called The Career Toolkit, Essential Skills for Success That No One Taught You. And it covers skills like networking, negotiating, leadership, communicating, generally evergreen topics. But on some podcasts, they'd say, 
well, let's talk about the great resignation. <laughs> okay, happy to talk about it. Let's talk about heading back into the office because we were all home from COVID. And that was interesting, but it was also a little topical. Right now, people aren't saying, if we go back to the office, how's it going to be different? Because mm -hmm. at the time you and I are recording this, we've been back for a while. So <laughs> it does lose some of that evergreenness. Yeah. Well, it's interesting too, because thinking about evergreen, you know, two years ago, I asked the opening question, what are you endlessly curious about? And you said how people get the most out of their lives and maximize their professional efficacy. It doesn't get much more evergreen than that, does it? <laughs> and that applies to the topic we're going to talk about today, because I am still passionate. I'm just always finding different ways to help people do that. Yeah, I love that. Well, where I thought we would start today is there's a lot going on about content in general right now. And so more and more content being developed and social media is getting it's not quite the promoter of content that we think it is. What what's going on right now big picture when it comes to content? Content is going to change. We're going to get very philosophical 30,000 foot view. Please. Most content has been consumed linearly. Mm -hmm. The stories told around the campfire 10,000 years ago were linear, start mm -hmm. to finish. The books we read are typically read first page to not quite last whenever you stop reading them, unfortunately. <laughs> right. When you turn on the TV, you're watching a TV show front to back. There is a typically single path and linear order mm -hmm. for all of us. And that's how content has always been consumed. Yes, we've had innovations, so to speak, where we've talked about books are now ebooks or audiobooks. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, okay. You know, we went from hand manuscripts to printing press and binding them. And we've just made the same thing a little more efficient distribution. And then, of course, we could just put things online. Mm -hmm. But we haven't fundamentally changed the consumption of media. We've just changed perhaps the delivery mechanism. Mm -hmm. And what's going to happen in the next 10, 20 years is we're going to fundamentally change how people engage with and consume content. So let me give you an example. Oh, please. I love examples. Vannevar Bush had described the concept of hyperlinks back, I believe, in the 1940s. Now, he talked about with microfiche. <laughs> Some of the older listeners like me, you might remember that. Yep. They talked about you can, you can jump around. You don't have to go start to finish. We all are familiar with hyperlinks, hyperlinks on the web. If you think about Wikipedia... And how often we go down that Wikipedia rabbit hole. I look at one article and I'm reading it. And then there's a link to another article, maybe about the town in which the first article took place. And then from the town, I see, oh, and this person was born. And you're just meandering all over. Each of us is going to meander in a different way based on our preferences at that moment. We have a non-linear path, just like a choose-your-own-adventure book. For those who remember that, that's where you read a page and a half and it says, do you go into the dark cave? Turn to page seven. Or do you stay on the path? Turn to page 20. <laughs> right. We take our own path. What is going to happen is we're going to start to chop up content 
content, whether it's a linear podcast like this or a book or anything else, we're going to chop into smaller pieces and let people access those pieces as they need it, as they want it. And so we are going to get context-dependent content, content that is relevant to us based on our current circumstance, spatially, temporally, or otherwise. Say, this is what I need right now, as opposed to, here it is, read 200 pages in this order, and that's how you're going to consume this content. Yeah. What's interesting about that, as you were describing hyperlinks, I, I flash back to the early years of the web where we surfed the web and went down, you know, link after link after link. And it's funny that we're kind of returning to that kind of philosophy just in a different way. So instead of it being like website to website to website, we're going from idea to idea to idea. And now hyperlinks are one simple way to do this. Mm -hmm. Let's consider a more general version. One of the challenges that we have with our traditional media, with say a book, is that where you read information isn't where you need information. Mm. In my book, I have a chapter on networking tips. I think they're great tips. They're really helpful. Where do you read them? Probably sitting on your couch. <laughs> where do you need them? A month later, as you're about to walk into that conference. <laughs> You'd love to get those tips five minutes before you walk into the conference. In theory, you could carry my book with you, but that's kind of awkward. Or you could have the ebook and you can kind of skim through it. But even though you can kind of control F and search, it's a 20, 30 page chapter. It's hard to just kind of skim that in five minutes. Mm -hmm. You can take notes. Now, I do take notes on my books, but rarely do I go back and look at them. Right. So it's about getting context dependent information that is useful right in that moment. Another example. If we think about augmented reality, now, if you don't know what that is, think Google Glass. Mm -hmm. Think those glasses that had the camera and had the heads-up display. And there's various reasons why people dislike Google Glass. But the general concept is I, I have this heads-up display and I'm walking on the street and I see you, you're in my eyeline. I first think, oh, that guy, oh my God, I can't even remember his name, <laughs> but that's okay. My augmented reality just did facial recognition and said, oh, this is Chris. It reminds me when we last spoke. It might remind me of your birthday, other relevant information. Here's where you're working right now. And it's going to pop all that up and go, oh, Chris, great to see you. What's it been? I guess it's been five months. Hey, you just had a birthday. Fantastic. How was it? And I'm going to have the information I need when and where I need it. And we're going to do that with all sorts of information delivered in all sorts of ways. Mm -hmm. That's ex uh, uh, that's exciting. I I don't know why we wouldn't be excited about that because I love the idea, especially. Let's be honest. Some people are just they dread networking. So to have the tips pop up when we need them, that's kind of interesting. And networking, of course, is just one example. Mm -hmm. Now, one area where we've actually done this reasonably well for years is our cookbooks. If you think about cooking. We have our books on our bookshelf, but the cookbook, very often it's sitting in the kitchen. It's not off in the study. It's not off in the other room. It's in the kitchen where you need it. Yeah. And a cookbook is organized. You don't read a cookbook first to last. <laughs> you say, I need a chicken recipe. I'm going to open up to page 73. There's the information. You get 
what you need when you need in a cookbook. And that works well for cookbooks, but we can take this concept with modern technology and apply it to all this disparate information on the web mm -hmm. and start to take the information and make it contextually delivered to us. Yeah. So how, how do you take this contextually delivered content and apply it to something like the Career Toolkit book itself? How, how do you break that apart into context? I did it first with an app. And I actually have two apps. I created the Career Toolkit app Mm -hmm. on Apple and Android, which was dedicated just to the book. But that was a prototype because once we found it worked, hmm. I created the BrainBump app, which is a more general version. So BrainBump, also available on Android and iPhone, it takes content from books, blogs, podcasts, classes, and talks, <laughs> takes that content, puts it in the app. And we have all these channels because you happen to be listening to us now, but in theory, you could print out this transcript, bind it in a book, and we have a book of all the podcasts. Right. Or I can I can read you my book in little segments, and we would call my book now as an audio podcast. Right. Those are just different channels. So you take the ideas. Now, if we take my book, for example, imagine if you went through the book with a highlighter. So oh. I want to highlight this, I want to highlight that. Well, we've done that for you. We've taken those key points from all these different sources, all these different channels, mm -hmm. it's already done for you. And so when you go to the Brain Bump app, you download the free app, and you will see an ever-growing list of books, blogs, podcasts, classes, and talks. Say, oh, you know, I am in the process of reading Mark's book, mm -hmm. so I'm going to add Mark's book. I want the tips. Oh, there's another book that I've read in the past. I want to remember it. Or maybe here's a book, you know, I never heard of it, but that looks interesting. I'm going to add that. Mm -hmm. We don't require, we don't check, you know, did you buy this? All the content right now, it's it's all free. Yeah. Later, we might support some version where it's premium content, you have to pay for it. But generally, the content, most of it, and certainly all of it today is completely free. Download whatever you want. Now, you have the tips. The app works like a cross between a book summary app, a flashcard app, and a daily affirmation app. The three of them had a baby, that would be brain bump. <laughs> so you've got all these highlights, you have all these different ideas, they're each on a tip card, and you can use it one of two ways. One is to access that just-in-time information. One is, I am about to go into that conference room, I need those networking tips. So you open up the app, you can pull up the tips from my book, and you can go through a networking ones. You might say, you know what? I don't care if it's Mark's networking tip or someone else's. I just want to learn to network. Yeah. So you can, all the tips are tagged. Think of them like hashtags. Mm -hmm. So you can go to either search for a particular tip or you go into our filter page, click networking, and you're going to get anything tagged networking from any of the content you added. You go, okay, here are the tips and just flip through them. Go, okay, right. Yep. Here's some ideas. Okay, good, good. They're all top of mind. The other way you can use the app is sometimes you're just trying to foundationally learn new things. Mm. When you read a book or listen to a podcast episode, you quickly forget what's in there. Mm -hmm. But we listened, we read because we want to retain it. We know that the best way to retain information is through spaced repetition. Fancy name for Look at the thing again. Remember, <laughs> that's why we opened our textbook a second, a third time before the test. Right. 
but you're not going to re-listen to the episode. You're not going to reread the book. So we want to expose you to these key highlights over and over. And we assume that you're not even going to think to open the app each day. So what it does is for each piece of content you add, as well as for any custom ones you want to create, it will push a notification to you about the topic you asked for at a time you set. So you might, for example, get management or leadership tips at 9 a.m. each day as you go into the office. Mm -hmm. Later, right now we're just focused on business content, but we'll be expanding soon. You might say, I also want to get a marriage tip at 6 p.m. Right as I walk into the door at home, so you can get that information over and over. That repeated exposure helps keep it top of mind for the app user. Wow, how does the key tips work? I mean, is it something that you're you're using programming to define the key tips, or are they user generated? They are created by the content creator. Content creator, that's my catch-all term for authors, podcasters, speakers, bloggers. Content creators, this is your content. You control it. One of the things we found in our research, there are book summary apps like Blinkist. Blinkist is probably the best known of those apps. Authors hate them. Mm. And they hate them for two reasons. First, Blinkist or these other sites will go, hey, I'm going to just take your book. And I'm going to pay someone somewhere in the world to go summarize it. Maybe they got right, maybe (laughs) mostly right, maybe kind of right. As an author, you have no control over it. You don't control what they're saying. The second problem is, of course, okay, well, I just got your book summary. Why do I need your book? I got the key points, so I don't really need to go your book. I just got everything. We do two things differently. First. We only take content given to us by the content creator. You yourself decide what goes in, how much, how little. Second, we are not, here's just the whole thing summarized. It's these like flashcards in a random order. This is not a substitute for the book. If you look at the 400 tips for my book, Mm -hmm. I don't think you're going to get the same experience If you did that instead of the book, it's designed to be a supplement to the book. Even more importantly, each one of those cards has branding and links on. So each one has the book cover image or the podcast cover image or whatever the brand image is, Mm -hmm. and then a link. For a book, it will link to the website. For a podcast or a blog, it will, the main title, getting work to work, would go to presumably your website or wherever you choose to set it as a content creator. Hmm. But then the title of this episode, let's pretend it's Brain Bump is Awesome. (laughs) If they click the title of the episode at the bottom of the tip card, it's going to drive them to this episode. Hmm. So if you say, wow, this is really great advice. I want to learn more. Mm -hmm. You go listen to the episode. You go read the blog post. And so we drive people to the property of the content creator. Fascinating. Huh. I love how you've identified the main problems with apps similar to this and then made it better. That's that's very interesting. And I'm not saying those book summary apps are bad. Yeah. They do have a purpose. 
Mm-hmm. The purpose, to be fair, is probably more for the value of the reader. Yes. I don't have time to read 200 books. Great. I can read 200 summaries. <laughs> and that is valuable. Yeah. I don't mean to say it's not. It's probably not quite as valuable for some of the authors, but we serve a different purpose. And I think both apps can coexist in this world and they both solve slightly different problems. Yeah. So so how was this a progression from the Career Toolkit app? I mean, what what made this what did you learn making the Career Toolkit app that said I want to now make this brain bump? When we did for the Career Toolkit app, we put out there the whole thing is just content from my book. Mm-hmm. And the first question is will people actually want to use this? That's <laughs> yeah. question number 1. And we found people did use it. They actually kept the notifications on because they can turn them off. Mm-hmm. We do not send notifications people don't want because how many of us get annoyed from spam calls, spam emails, spam text messages these days? We hate it. Yeah. I never want to annoy people with that. So I thought, well, will people, will they try the app once and turn it off? But no, they will keep using it and they will even keep that daily reminder on because they know it's happening just once a day or twice if they want two of them. They know when it's coming. They've decided when it comes. Not that's not expected. Oh, I just got three random texts and all this spam email. Right. We found that worked well. And then as I talked about on podcasts like this one, when I was talking about the career toolkit, I would get people saying, can you do it for my book? Mm. And then if you said, hey, does this work for podcasts? Mm-hmm. And so we started to just expand and expand the ideas and then did some user research and we added in a whole bunch of new features way beyond what's in the Career Toolkit app. The content is great. It's got the basic features. Brain bump, we have a lot more, especially with the social media sharing, the mm-hmm. metrics on the back end. We've made a lot more robust. Yeah. I, I just love hearing the the creative process that you're going through as you're creating things, you're testing things out, you're trying it, you're doing research, but there's this constant, I guess there's this constant process behind the scenes of making it better and better. I it's I love hearing that. One of the big challenges with BrainBump is anytime you're building an app, users have about a two-click tolerance before they give up. <laughs> And remember, no one reads instructions on an app. It's it's an app. Just let me start clicking. So you need the UI to be very intuitive. Mm -hmm. Now, some things can be easy. We have a heart, which is how you favorite things. And most people, when they see a heart for something like this, when they see a heart with content, they get, okay, that's favoriting. Great. That worked well. The share tip was interesting, or the share button, Mm -hmm. because there's no standard share icon like there is with a heart for favoriting. So we went back and forth. I did some surveys. Hey, who recognizes this icon? Or if I said this feature, what icon would you think of? But one of the toughest things, when you first install the app, we have your library page. That's the page you open on. Mm -hmm. And then there's all the content on the server. We don't hand you all the content initially because that's an ever-growing list. That would be like... With Netflix, if it just started playing all of the episodes at once, oh man, it's not a good experience. Yeah. So we need an interface where we start out where you have nothing and you have to learn, okay, I need to add something. Mm-hmm. 
and we've tweaked it over and over. Oh, we need to move this button higher, this button lower. We need a little bit of instructions. We have two lines of instructions on that first starting page. But then we add an arrow pointing down, showing, look below, that's where you find the content to add. And each little thing, adding the arrow, moving certain buttons, making things bigger, making them smaller, all of those were very intentional decisions based on, I'd sit there with someone, say, install this. Let me watch what you do. Let me see where they're confused. And that took a lot of iterations. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting too, I think painting this picture of the iterative process is important because there's a lot of creators out there who just stumble to create things because they think that it needs to be like fully conceived right out of the gate. But what you're sharing is like, no, this has been process after process after process. And I think that's very important. You know, it depends on the type of engagement you're going to have. A book, for example, a print book, mm -hmm. you can't say, well, it's kind of a good first draft, let's print it and we can fix it later. Yeah, <laughs> You're committing to copies. And in fact, having done my book and gone through so much editing, it was actually hard for me to start my blog because I wanted that perfection. Yeah. I wanted not just no typos, but did I, did I phrase this right? Is there a better way to do it? Is this the right title? And at a certain point, I just said, you know what? Put it out there. Mm -hmm. And there have been one or two typos and people caught. And well, it's a blog. I could fix that easily enough. Yeah. When you think about the app, for example, mm -hmm. we had it out there. So we officially were available on the store over the summer, but I was not telling people about it. I had a handful of people. I'd tell friends, for example, I told people in my target group, hey, I have this app. Can you download? I want to watch you use it. Mm -hmm. But I wasn't publicly putting it out there. Now, I know with an app, you can change it. You can release new things. I build software companies all the time. But if I said to the public, hey, everyone, we have this great app, they're going to look at it once. And if it's not good, they're never going to come back. So I knew I had to get to a certain level mm -hmm. by the time we did that big public launch. Even the amount of content, for example, we first launched with, I think, about six pieces of content, which was fine for testing it. You know, try this. Does this work? Does the links work? Does it lay out correctly? But no one was going to say, oh, six pieces of content. This is great. That's like Netflix launching with six shows. Yeah. <laughs> you look at, yeah, okay, looked at, done, and then you'll never look at Netflix again. So we needed to wait till we got more content on there, but then I'd still love to have more and more, and we're constantly adding new content like Netflix, but there's a certain point where I said, I just can't keep waiting. I do have to get out the door. Yeah. So you have to think about the engagement. Is it you get one shot at these customers? When you go out to talk to them, how tolerant will they be if you express it as, well, look, this is an early work in progress. And they'll be tolerant of it versus if it's not finished, I don't want to deal with it. So there's a lot of variables that go into thinking through that process. As as you're describing it too, I love I love that dance between perfection and good enough. I wonder for content creators who use Brain Bump, I wonder how that would shift their creation process and their relationship with perfectionism especially when it comes to that context-dependent learning? That's a great question. And there's actually a couple ways it can be used. 
Mm-hmm. So first, when you put your tips on the app, mm-hmm. well, they're all editable. You can change a typo. You can delete something. You can add something later. And in fact, if you think about the use cases for a book, mm-hmm. I took the tips from my book and they're there and generally don't change unless I happen to spot a typo. Mm-hmm. For a podcast, for example, people will put some or all of the tips from their back catalog up there. But then as each new episode comes out, oh, I've got a new episode. We've got another two great tips from this episode. Typically, the things that they probably shared on social media as quotes, okay, they'll just add new ones. Mm-hmm. So you can dynamically add, move, and edit. Nice. How some authors are starting to look at this, we do not track user data at all. My background is cybersecurity and privacy. I am very respectful of not wanting to track individuals, certainly not without their permission. Mm -hmm. So we don't take user data or any of that, but we do show engagement with your content. So for example, as a content creator, you can see how often a tip has been favorited. Mm. You can imagine if you're thinking of writing a book, you might outline your book and under each of the sub points or sub sub points, you might have, okay, here's the key idea. Here's that quote. Here's that key point. And now you generated, let's say 60, 80, kind of here's the key points. Mm-hmm. Put that into the app, go out to your audience and say, I have a book draft on the app. Wow. Download it, check it out. And then you start seeing what are people favoriting? What are people sharing on social media? What are they engaging in? And that's going to tell you what people are interested in, what they're less interested in, and maybe adjust your book that way. Wow. Even as a podcaster, if you put this on, you're going to see what are people excited about? That's going to tell you what should my future episodes be? What is my audience really looking for? Yeah. I'm just kind of taking that all in because I love that idea of real-time, real data <laughs> that's that has some shape to it without it just being a data dump. And in fact, one of my favorite features lets you go deeper on this. Yeah. So each of the tips is effectively a little tip card on the screen, but we know people like to share things on social media. Yeah. You see quotes all the time. So what we did is we turned Brain Bump as one of the features, it's like a cross between Canva and Bartlett's famous quotations. (laughs) Because when you think about Canva or one of the other social media tools, okay, it lets you drop things in, type in some things, and you pick a background and colors and fonts and stuff. But you still have to put the meat in there. You have to come up with the quote or the thing, and they just make it pretty. Well, Brain Bump is a set of quotes of the ideas. That's the meat. So we take the quote, when you hit share on the page, you take the quote that's on the page, and then you go to our page to dynamically create your social media share. You can set the format and we have it preset. Do you want to do you know, the profile for Facebook or the uh, the portrait mode for Instagram? We've got them all pre-formatted and set. You pick your colors, you pick the font, you pick the font size, you can adjust the layout. It all comes with the cover image. Again, the book, the podcast cover image, whatever it is. So that's there. So I see the quote, but they'll also see where it's from. They see the image and they'll see, for example, the author name or the podcaster name and title of the podcast. Yeah. Then one of my favorite features 
if the content creator has given to the platform their social media handles, when I share this on Instagram, I, the person using the app, I'm sharing on Instagram, oh, I see the content creator gave us her Instagram handle. I can tag her in that post. And now she sees, she's going to be tagged in it. Mm -hmm. So she sees this post. She is now able to talk to her fans, the person who shared the content, the other people who are speaking about it. She can come in and say, oh, you know, what really inspired that idea was this. She can share some backstory and really engage with the fans and go deeper than just seven people like this and three people <laughs> like that. You can get into those conversations you want. Yeah, that seems to be one of those features that is about building an audience. But I'm wondering, you know, you mentioned notifications helps with space repetition. What role does sharing have in learning and, and taking in this content and being able to remember it? Great question. It's your engagement with an idea. It's a repeated engagement. Mm. The simplest way, of course, is just see it over and over. Yeah. And so the app will show it to you, whether you open the app and see it, or you just get that push notification with there's the idea and there's the mm -hmm. source. Great. Swipe it away. Took you two seconds. Mm -hmm. If you're posting it online, now you're going further. Studies have shown, for example, when you write an idea down, if you tell me something, oh, that's great. I want to remember it. If I actually write it down, it will strengthen the memory of it. Mm. If I do that repeatedly, if I go talk about it with a friend later that day, it strengthens the memory. So when I share on social media, mm -hmm. that act strengthens it. When people respond to that post, and then I go and look at the responses, I see it again, it strengthens that engagement. And so all of this is helping people to better retain the information. Now, remember as well, every time they see your quote, they also see your name and brand, right? your name and the name of your podcast or your blog or your book. And so you're also increasing the awareness of your brand. You're improving your brand engagement because we know if you are trying to sell a big ticket product or service, selling a book, I can say, hey, I wrote this book, The Career Toolkit. It's really great. You know, I've been teaching for 20 plus years at MIT. Trust me, I'm an expert. Mm -hmm. So I might say, ah, okay, well, he sounds like an expert. That's yeah, 20 some dollars. Great. I'll buy it. But if I'm trying to convince you to buy a $10,000 coaching package, and for the record, I am not a coach. I do not sell coaching. Don't want to do that. But many people with a book like mine will sell some coaching package. You're not going to say, well, hey, Mark's not good on the podcast. Let me hand him $10,000. <laughs> no, you got to get to know me and trust me. You've got to go through the know, like, love phase of that brand building. And that happens through repeated engagement in the brand, repeated value from the brand. And so that's what this does for the content creators. The content consumers better retain the content for the content creators, repeated exposure and recognition of your brand. Yeah. I've heard the no like, and trust before. This is the first time that I've heard no like, and love though. That that's, that's interesting. It's I would I'd say probably just some some marketer prefers one over the other, but um, yeah, it's it's building up that level of engagement with the brand. Yeah, 
because I don't know. I, I sometimes I'm like, oh, can you really love a brand? But yeah, you really can. Some people can, and certainly, we we all know there's certain fashion products. <laughs> there, I'm sure there are people who love Disney. Mm-hmm. We do see consumer brands like that, but if you read a book, whether it's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, How to Win Friends, Influence People, uh, my book, you know, any of these, if you take and you say, wow, this is helpful, mm-hmm. and you do go to, let's say, that networking event, you say, oh, I've always had networking, but you walk out of there saying, wow, this was a positive experience, and you have a couple of those, or this book really helped me get through a management crisis at work. Mm-hmm. So, wow, this was valuable. This was helpful. And you can start to love a more thought leader type of brand, not a classic consumer brand. Yeah, that's interesting. So as as you're developing this app, as you're putting it out there, what impact has this had on the shape of your own career up to this point? Because you mentioned teaching at MIT, writing a book, you know, I, it has to affect you somehow. This is a convergence, even though it might sound like a divergence. Mm-hmm. To give your listeners a little more background, I came out of MIT back in the 90s and I started doing tech startups. And that's primarily what I've done most of my career. Now, some of those tech startups have been in cybersecurity, my main field, but I've spent some time doing online marketing. I was at a company, we had an email list and we sent out hundreds of millions of emails a year. I've done B2B lead generation at other companies. So I spent time learning marketing, even though I was in a technology function as a marketing company. Mm -hmm. I also wound up teaching at MIT, somewhat unexpectedly for 20 plus years, where we teach these professional skills, leadership, communication, networking, negotiation, team building. That led to the book. I wasn't even trying to do a book. I was trying to just summarize the class. But what I thought would be 20 pages of summary notes got a little big. I said, all right, I think this is a book. But then when I was thinking about the book, I said, you know, the problem with a book is you read a book and you quickly forget everything as soon as you're done with it. I want people to remember this. The same thing we know with students. If you think back to your time in school, as soon as the semester was over, You quickly forget everything in that class. Gone. (laughs) I wanted to help people retain it. I knew this was a problem. And I basically combined my background in media, Mm -hmm. in education, in technology. I said, well, we know space repetition works. How can we engage people doing this? And while there are flashcard apps out there, we know people aren't going to create their own flashcards. Flashcard apps are great when you're learning a language or studying for the LSAT because someone created the LSAT questions and great, I'll just buy it and flip through it. Yeah. But we don't have those flashcards already created for each of the millions of books out there. Mm-hmm. Said so we need to find a way where this gets created for people. We also know one of our design principles, by the way, is laziness. I, I say that proudly because I'm a lazy person. Most of us are lazy. You're not even going to open the app every day. That's yeah. a chore. So we have to assume you're not going to open the app. And that's why we have the push notification. You don't have to open the app just two seconds every day. There it is. Look, swipe, done. You do have to open the app once a month because if you haven't opened it a month, we start to think, oh, maybe you're not active. Maybe we're bothering you. 
Right. But as long as you open it once a month, we just refresh. Okay, you're still active. It's kind of like the Netflix, you know, it's been eight hours. Are you still actually watching? That's what we do. Uh, maybe. <laughs> no, I love that. I love I love the idea of convergence, uh, how we can bring the different parts of our career together to create a new path. And because uh, I think too often we think of diverging from what we've done in order to find something new. But I, I'm loving this message of convergence is also a good thing. But to get to the convergence, I did a lot of divergence. Most people would say, Mark, you're an engineer. You work doing tech startups. Why are you teaching at MIT, but non-technical skills? Shouldn't you be teaching something technical? Why are you writing this book? In fact, many people said, don't write the career toolkit. Write the career toolkit for software engineers. Focus on your niche. That's your area. I said, no, these are universal skills. Yeah. Everyone benefits. And so I didn't write it for engineers. I didn't write it with only engineering examples. We have examples from accounting, marketing, sales, all these different fields. And we look at them holistically and universally. And so I went through a lot of divergence. In fact, one of my challenges, I have multiple brands. There's Mark Hirschberg, the cybersecurity CTO. There's Mark Hirschberg, the professional skills guy. <laughs> Very different brands, but I was able to converge them as I was working on Brain Bump. Was that challenging for you to do in terms of bringing those identities together or was it refreshing? It was nice to work on a product that took in these disparate skill sets. In fact, that's where you can get a lot of innovation because very few people have this unique Venn diagram of backgrounds. Yeah. There are lots of other great software engineers and CTOs out there. I'm sure there are some better than me. There are great teachers, and I'm sure some better than me. And there are people in media, and I'm sure some better than me. But the people who are good in all three fields, very small number. Mm -hmm. And they're probably not sitting there saying, how do I solve a problem like this? So it's okay to diverge. You are paying a cost because now you're going in different areas, but later it leads to innovation. Now, I still pay a cost in that I have multiple websites. <laughs> I have all these different brands and I do keep them separate. So there is some cost still, but the innovation gets cheaper as I go cross-discipline. I, I just want to touch real quickly on something that you said about niche. And because I, I think niche is an ongoing topic when it comes to creative businesses and businesses in general. Uh, how How have you change the way you view niche now because of writing a more general book for you know evergreen content universal principles as opposed to the career toolkit for software engineers i've just never been a fan of being very niche and even in my career people have said well your graduate work is in cybersecurity you should stick to just cybersecurity what are you doing doing marketing yeah. What are you doing in these other fields? And it's true that it has held me back. Now I'm running my own companies, but early on when I was looking for a job, mm -hmm. I said, well, we have two candidates, one person who's been in this subfield for his entire career, and then you and you've been out of it. <laughs> you don't seem as strong. And maybe in some ways I'm not, but maybe in other ways I have a lot more, I think, different knowledge. 
Mm-hmm. And I talk about this in the start of the book about how we really want to be not just long in one side, but to really strengthen some of our shorter sides. And I think that makes us overall more effective. Yeah. So I've, yeah, even though conventional wisdom says you should be the expert in this area, I think it can lead to some interesting opportunities going broad. Yeah. But you have to decide what's right for you. Yeah. And I think I, I'm very much a, a generalist. I'm, I have a lot of interest in a lot of different areas. And so it, whenever I hear that message of specializing and niching down, I, I really struggle with it uh, because, you know, I want it to be like this easy decision, like, okay, I'm in niche now and it's going to work out perfectly. <laughs> so it's just like, I appreciate the other side of the message here that I'm receiving is just like, you know, you, you pay a cost, but you have to know what you need for yourself. There's a book called Range by David Epstein that actually argues for breath being a lot more important than depth. It's a really good read. Yeah, I, I I think I read it a couple of years ago. I need to revisit it again. Yeah, it's a good book. Well, Mark, I mean, as as you're developing Brain Bump and you're adding more and more content to it, you know, what's next in terms of, you know, the Brain Bump features or what you're doing for you? A whole bunch of things. And first I'll note, Brain Bump itself, I think, is the first step into this larger world of nonlinear or context-dependent content. There's going to be a lot more coming. It might come from me. It might come from other people. So there's going to be a really fascinating world, and I'm excited to be a part of it and talk with other people in the space and see what's being done. For Brain Bump specifically, it is all about growing as fast as possible. Now, everything is free. We want to make it really easy to just not put up barriers. It's free to download the app. In fact, right now, it's even free for people to put content on the app. We're going to figure out how to monetize this later. And there's a couple of different models we're looking at, but we're just keeping everything free so it's easy to use. We want to get a lot more consumers downloading the app. We want to get a lot more people putting their content on the app. So it's a double-sided marketplace in some sense, except there's nothing actually being bought and sold. It's ideas being shared and consumed. And whenever you have a double-sided marketplace, you always have to be careful about making sure you get the balance right. So for example, I helped build a labor marketplace. This is close to 15 years ago. Mm -hmm. You don't want to have 100 electricians in San Francisco and 100 homeowners in New York. <laughs> doesn't work. Or even if they're all in San Francisco, if there's 100 homeowners, all need painters, still doesn't work. Right. You need to be very intentional about making sure both sides of your marketplace align. Mm. We started Brain Bump with just business content. Business meaning marketing, entrepreneurship, leadership, career stuff. It's a little fuzzy. There's some stuff on, uh, there's a book there, for example, called Pause. Mm -hmm. And it's about how to take a break and not get overwhelmed. And it's a business book, but obviously that starts to get into a little bit of mental health or personal wellness. But we're focusing at the moment, we're recording this in Q4 of 2022. We've been very business focused because this way all the content is business oriented Mm -hmm. All the users are business oriented. We will expand 
sometime in Q1 or Q2 2023, we'll start expanding to other verticals like health and wellness or spirituality or relationships. So it's just about, can we find enough content? Because if we do relationships, we don't want to tell people we've got great relationship content and there's one book on <laughs> gang divorce and you're thinking, but I'm still trying to find the love of my life. This isn't helpful. So I want to get content there. And ideally, I want to get a bulk of content at once. I don't just want to launch with yeah. one or two pieces. So it's all about growing our content set, growing our audience and doing so in a balanced way. I, I had a, another question pop into my head as when we were talking about content creators and you mentioned it's designed for the laziness factor. And as a content creator, you know, you spend hours producing your content. The idea of distilling that content down into tips for the app, how would you address the laziness factor? How would you include the brain bump idea as part of the content creation process? Great question. And I'm going to answer a tangential question that comes with that and then address that. Sure. So one is, wait a second, I'm giving away the best parts of my content. Right. Now for a podcast, well, this is all free anyway, but for a book, you're thinking, no, no, I'm selling the book. Anyone's going to tell you books are not how you make money. Yeah you make money through your other products and services. And what I found in the research is authors of business books and self-help books, they'll give it away all day long because they want to get the exposure so they can sell their consulting, they can get on a stage, they can do other things. And on the margin, I'm sure there's someone out there who says, wow, $20 for a book, that's pricey. If I can get it for free, I'm going to avoid it. <laughs> but the trade-off that you get from the exposure to more people, from having people bear remember your book, remember word of mouth marketing, we want as authors, it doesn't work if they don't remember your book. Right. The building that no like love or no like trust, that more than offsets the few, few books you lose. Now, in terms of the level of effort, we hear over and over as content creators, you need to repurpose your content. You need to get out there. Yeah. But one of the things that this does, it plays into that. So for example, some of our podcasters, they take from each episode, they usually have one or two or three quotes that they shared on social media to promote the episode. If you've done that, fantastic. Just take those quotes, stick them in a spreadsheet, upload the spreadsheet, Good, you just repurposed it. Other people say, oh, I haven't done that. Okay, so you do have to go and pull out those quotes. But by the way, now that you've got that list of quotes in the spreadsheet that you put on the server, why not start posting on social media? You just created your next six months of social media posts. Mm. Some people take this content, they also turn into a lead magnet. Do you want to get the 50 best tips from last year's podcasts? Put in your email and I'll email you. Here are the greatest tips from my show. Yeah. So this all plays into that. But here's the most important factor. Please. We spend so much time on social media, which is terrible for evergreen content. Mm -hmm. Imagine if you are writing about leadership. 
that's your area of expertise. And so you're sending out a tweet at 3 p.m. this afternoon about, here's my thinking on leadership. Here's a great idea. First, half your audience isn't even going to see that tweet. <laughs> They're not on social media at the time. Even the people who do, I might see and think, you know what? I am so busy heads down with fundraising or hiring or trying to close this major sale. I, I don't care about leadership right now. This isn't relevant to me. So you move on. And no one says, hey, I wonder what Chris posted three months ago. Let me go <laughs> back and look. It's your content disappears. And we're on this treadmill of constantly putting out new content. But for evergreen content, that idea you put out three months ago, it's just as valid today. But social media isn't designed to do that. Mm. And so what we do with Brain Bump is we flip how people access it and we flip the workload. So from the workload perspective, instead of, oh, I have to go tweet two, three times a week, you do create the tips. And it's typically somewhere around one to four hours to create those tips. Mm -hmm. Some people use virtual assistants. Some people find cheap labor on Fiverr or Upwork. And so they get done, they put up on the server, and then you're done. I have close to 400 tips from my book on, my, on the app. Mm -hmm. I never go back and think, have I posted on Brain Bump today? <laughs> but I know that every day someone is getting that content. And in fact, from their perspective, it's not the, okay, I'm just going to blast. I'm thinking about leadership today. Next week, think about marketing. I put it out and hope it resonates with someone. From the app user's perspective, it is a pull. Right now, this moment, I need some leadership tips. Mm -hmm. Right now, as I'm head home, I need a marriage tip. So I am pulling the content that is immediately relevant, that will land every time because it's what they're asking for. So you as a content creator do a little work up front, but then, so it's basically instead of doing like the post every week or two or three a week for the year, right. you do a couple hours up front, but then you know it's hitting people every day and you know it is always, always relevant because it's getting pulled by the content consumer when and where they want it. I mean, I'm sold at that point. I mean, that that makes a lot of sense. Wow. Well, Mark, as we wrap up this episode, uh, what uh, tip card would you fill out for this episode? Oh, so many to choose from. <laughs> I would say we have to begin to think about our content being accessed in non-linear ways. That's the future. That's awesome. Well, last question for you. Uh, what book, podcast, or resource are you putting notes in, notes about right now? Right now, I am just so focused on Brain Bump that I'm constantly talking to people, still getting feedback. And so I'm not reading or listening to podcasts as much as I usually do. Mm -hmm. But I want to encourage everyone to get their content on Brain Bump so I can access it there. Well done. Well, Mark, it was such a pleasure talking with you. Thank you for always bringing such a fascinating perspective to not only life, but how we consume information, get information so that we can keep growing and, and being even more curious. So thank you. Thank you. And people can learn more at brainbumpapp.com. If you go to brainbumpapp.com, it's available in both stores. 
it's frustrating because Apple doesn't include a space in it and Android does. And I'm fighting with Apple for months now. But if you go to brainbumpapp.com, you can learn more about the app and you can see where to download it for free on the stores. I've been thinking a lot about this interview with Mark since we talked. And at first, I honestly wasn't sure how I felt using an app like BrainBump. It felt like more work, especially when I was thinking about it from the content creator perspective. But his explanation of including it in the process of creating social media artwork and quotes and things like that made a lot of sense to me. I also particularly like the way he outlined the book process that he described, you know, getting favorites on the sections that seemed most interesting. I don't know, maybe there's something there that, that I need to explore. I haven't used the app yet, but it is something that I want to begin working on in the first part of 2023. I want to see how hard it is to include that in the content creation portion of getting work to work. How about you? Is this something you could find useful for your own creative process? Just a few fascinating thoughts for today. I do hope that you'll check out Brain Bump, and I hope you'll learn a lot from it through the spaced repetition and just that retention mechanisms built into the app. Until next time, may creativity and curiosity fuel your life.